today I'm going to preach probably something is a, like a mosaic. Like I'm going to put together many things that I might have preached over the weeks or months, but put them all together today uh, to help us to understand what's happening in our world and what's happening in our lives these days. Now, uh, one of the realities of meaningful life is that we constantly interpret ourselves. Now, this is a philosophical idea. That is, we cannot live in this world like an ox or an animal or a cockroach. Now, they don't care about, they don't worry about. But a human being has to constantly interpret what's going on in life. Now, that is our existence. And this is a philosophical understanding. If you don't, uh, then uh, if you don't try to understand what's going on in our life and around us, then it is not a meaningful Christian, sorry, uh, uh, human existence. It is like the being like, for example, take the case of people who have mental disabilities. They don't have a meaningful existence. You know why? Because, you know, you might have noticed those unfortunate uh, brothers and sisters. They laugh at the wrong place and the wrong time. You know, they cry and this or because they don't understand what's going on. But as we mature, we try to understand our surroundings. And we try to find meaning. What does it mean? Now, this is what I'm going to talk about today. That is, to understand reality, we have to see all the sides of the reality. For example, and we should see the, all the sides from all angles, from different angles. Then only we'll understand any reality fully. A simple example is a coin. Take a coin. A coin has a head and tail an obverse and a reverse, a place where there is an emblem and there's a place where there's a value or value. The value of the coin is etched or embossed or whichever way it is. Both sides are important because on one side it tells whose coin it is, which country. In the earlier days, it was this, the, the, the picture or the icon of the emperor, the ruling emperor. Even nowadays, though there are no emperors, we have the, the father of the nation or the president and for America, invariably it is George Washington and the first president on the coin. The other side, but simply looking at it, it will tell you that this is a coin from Colombia or from Japan or from Korea or something like that. But it doesn't tell you how much that coin values, the value of the coin. The, actually, the, the what you call the, 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 how much you can buy with that coin. So in order to understand the coin as a reality, you have to look at it from all the angles, from both sides of it. Christian life is like that. But an ordinary life, an unredeemed human life, an unsaved human life has only one reality, one flat surface. That is the experience of a human being. But that's common to all. But when we come to Christ, when he redeems us and he becomes the last Adam, we are all born of the first Adam. But whom God created, Adam Eve. But Christ came to redeem the fallen humanity to create a new human race. And that race is called the redeemed human race. We have an Adam, 
and that's the last add and there are no more add until to be are born after him in his order in his race that is what we call being born again so when we are born again we are actually embedding another layer of reality to the fallen layer the fallen layer which all we share with our brothers and sisters all every one in our human race men and women and but we get another layer that is the christ the christ layer the redeemed layer so we have two realities to understand but others don't have to worry about it. they completely simply interpret things we understand things in the fallen human nature but when we come to christ we have to we have that common realities which all everybody faces but we also have another layer which is only the christian christ experience that is another layer today i'm going to talk about four aspects of this christian existence as i said part of it we share with the rest of humanity but the another part is uniquely our experience in christ one thing that we share with the rest of humanity is hopelessness it's not a good thing to start the sermon with isn't it same all of us go through hopelessness everybody everyone born in this world who live in this world and who will be born in this world at one point in time they have to go through the experience of hopelessness what is hopelessness hopelessness when you have come to a conclusion this is slightly different from anxiety i'll talk about that in next as the next point hopelessness is when a person comes to a conclusion to a firm conviction that the future holds no uh, potential possibilities when you have concluded when you have finally concluded there is no possibilities there is nothing open everything is dark that is what we call hopelessness when the future looks dim now there are times when people come to that sort of point many people for example how do you process hopelessness is another thing see for example i used to wonder when the doctor said the other day i was talking to a cancer patient and he said the doctor said there is no hope and uh, he said uh, that i will have to live with his medicine rest of my life he is hardly 50 years old another 30 years another 40 years or another 10 years living on medicine completely dependent on medicine that's the only hope the doctor can give and this man has given up hope i told him and i prayed with him as well i said that is your doctor's perception of the thing you understand that and it is a human perception your doctor thinks that you have no hope but that doesn't mean you don't have any hope you know you can process the same thing in a different way you can understand the same diagnosis in a different way and if you have faith in god so this sort of things sometimes happens to us we all go through that now when doctors say that we have no hope when when doctors don't have to say that now when we look at possibilities like for example after giving an interview job interview 
we come out of the the room with hopelessness as if there's nothing no hope at all how many times that has happened or going for an assessment simple things don't forget cancer and other things now for the time being let's come to the earth, down to earth realities or an assessment the, the boss calls you and you had an assessment and the heads up and everything is over and then you come out hopeless you see nothing is going to now i have mentioned this read this passage uh, some weeks back paul and his companions came to a situation in second corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 9 they came to a conclusion that there is no hope left now and maybe last week i read this passage first second corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 to 9 for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in asia for we are so utterly beyond burden beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but let me try to reconstruct what he might have been going through probably he might have gone for a trial arrested and brought before the magistrates and the magistrate heard him and also heard his opponents and then he said the magistrate said taking back to the uh, prison put him in the cellar again until i make up my mind i come with a verdict maybe a day or two days or two weeks if it is in india it could be even 20 years for the verdict to come now this man is waiting for the verdict will i be sent to the uh, the gallows will i be sent to we will be hanged what is happening to me what is the verdict going to be so those moments until the verdict comes you know the court has heard or some people have uh, made some comments on it and you don't know what the outcome is but you tend to think there is no hope the judge is very partial the judge is not very righteous my opponents were strong they had better strong arguments against me my arguments were weak the system is against me the state is against me the governor is against me i have no hope that's what he was going to you look at all the possibilities but see as good planners do you write down all the pros and all you write down all the uh, uh, cons things that for and things are against and you see the things that are against you outweighs the things are in favor utter hopelessness that's 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 a common reality all of us go through that but what happens when you have that next layer of reality that is the experience of christ the christian reality the reality of christ that is just opposite that is of hope tremendous hope a man who has in met christ has no reason for that his hopelessness is hopelessness but a christ followers hopelessness is hopefulness praise god that's why christ matters if 
don't have that him in our life life would be very different look at the next verse where paul says he describes his hopelessness and then in verse 9 and 10 he says verses 9 and 10 he delivered us from such a deadly peril but we will he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again our hope the believer a follower of christ has hope in utter hopelessness and this hope is a like a train with a double engine now this hope is christian hope is like a train with a double engine you know this push and pull things sometimes some trains have two engines in the front which pulls but some other trains are going up the hill sometimes in the olden days we used to have bombay trains coming to pune uh, stop at um, kandala or something like that kargar or something and then they wait for a minute uh, for a some an hour or so or less than an hour and they get another train another engine at the back to push it up the hill but nowadays they have powerful engine so they don't really have to do that but this is like a double engine christian hope is like a double engine what is a double engine one pulls us that is the hope in god our hope that god can even rise raise a dead from to life that is the the hope that pulls us forward something to look forward to but at the same time there is an engine that pushes us also up the hill through the valleys through the difficult terrain what is that that is our experience of god that we already had in the past that was that's what the verse says he will deliver us and we believe that he will as he has delivered us now we have a hope in god that he will deliver it doesn't happen we are only hoping it is something that pulls us to the front but at the same time we can look back to a whole lot of experience in christ where god has a record of a track record of delivering us so those memories and those experiences pushes us forward and our hope in him that he is an almighty god who can even raise people from the dead pulls us forward so it's a double engine so when we come to christ we have this double engine the push and pull train push and pull train that is hoping in god but at the same times our life is energized by what god has done in the past this is why in christian life i always had stressed it that keeping a journal is very important keeping a written journal not in memory our memories are faulty you see you know we have to write down what god has done last week during my prayer time i read through all that god has done when whatever i have written what my experience of god in 2017 just one day i sat and went through all that i have recorded i have it recorded every day i'll tell you that sometimes i have even missed months when my life was like when my it's not just miracles that happened i write my doubts my fears my fears my anger and all that comes to my mind and i write it down when i think when i think not every day every day it is significant but then at times when i take time for prayer 
I go through that maybe one year, you know, or maybe half an year of that. I go through my journal and then get energized, rebuked. Sometimes I say, I did this thing. I think that is not pleasing to God. Five years ago, I wrote it. And now when I read it in my, in my time of retreat, I say that I'm doing the same thing again. That's a rebuke. Why didn't you take care of it for the last five years? That's why a journal is important. I was so pleased last year when, during that uh, service that we had when uh, uh, Ringu came up with uh, the, the written journal and read something out of the journal. I wish and my hope is that all of us, including the small children who can start, uh, can write, write something down so that you have something to look back. That will be our engine. In times of despair and hopelessness, fear and doubt to push you forward. Count the blessings. Think of what God has done in the past. Think of all those days when we go through sickness. Think of the healings we received in the past. When we have problems with money, think of the miraculous ways God had intervened maybe 10 years ago. That will give us energy for the present, in the present, for the future. Think of various other circumstances, every circumstances. There will be something that we can count on. So that is the first reality. A hopeless reality, hopelessness, which is the share, the portion of the whole humanity. Everyone goes through that. Hopelessness. But when we think of the future, we think the future holds nothing, no promises for us. But when we come to Christ, he gives us the right to hope against hopelessness. That's the strike of the children. A second reality is that we share with the rest of the humanity is anxiety. Anxiety after common cold, anxiety must be the most common psychological disorder in this world. Everybody goes through anxiety. Some have anxiety, a clinically diagnosed anxiety, which is sustained for a long period. That is that is pathologically, uh, pathologically, it's, it's diagnosed as a sickness. But some people, even if you don't have to have that, but we all go through moments of anxiety. If you don't have anxiety, that means we are not fully human. Now, anxiety is different from hopelessness. Anxiety is the fear of consequences. One, one reason. Oh, I did that. What will happen? I did something at home and when mom or dad comes back, how he will react? Every children go through that. The, the fear of consequence. It is also the fear of the future in a broader, in a, in a broader general sense. So what will happen in the future? We just worry about what will happen in the future. This may happen, this may happen, this may happen, this I can take, this I can face, this is how I will. And we keep on processing in our head and um, we become very, very anxious. See, when we have done something, this is what usually happens. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, he says he had moments of anxiety. He came, those who did uh, the series of Bible studies on 
uh, X know this property well, I suppose. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. There's some background that we need to understand. Paul had sent Titus, one of his younger colleagues, to Corinth. He wrote a letter first and uh, that probably was not well received. So he wrote another letter, that is 1 Corinthians. And uh, in answer to some other questions and some other things, in uh, to respond to some other things that are happening in Corinth and all that. But things didn't improve. The Corinthians were mad saints as Martin Luther described them. Then he sent another letter, which he calls in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, I think. He says a 7 8, 2 Corinthians 7 8. He talks about a tearful letter. A painful letter. That means he wrote a very strong letter. Condemning them, critiquing them, correcting them, rebuking them. And we don't know, we don't have that letter preserved. But he sent him, uh, him with that letter. Uh, Titus with that letter. And he was waiting for Titus to come back. How will the Corinthians take this letter? Will they be happy? Will they be angry? Will they treat uh, Titus kindly, will they abuse him, will they even kill him, harm him. He was very worried. There was no way of getting an acknowledgement like we have now. And he was very angry, very conscious. But he went to Trovas. You know, those who know Book of Acts know that. He went to Trovas from Ephesus and he was waiting there that he may come. Titus will come on the way and we'll meet him in Trovas. But he didn't meet him in Trovas. So why did he go to Trovas? He went to Troas to preach the gospel with a lot of zeal. He went there. But every day after preaching like I do, sometimes all preachers do, we sink back to our normal state. That is this normal human state of fear and anxiety, anger and doubt and all that. So Paul had a very uplifted spirit, only time of preaching and ministering to people. Then he will be back to anxiety, worrying about Titus. Why, why Titus is late? Why Titus doesn't come back? Why Titus doesn't send a note with any caravan that passed from that or any ship captain that came from? Why didn't he send that? Why is he silent? No, we all go through anxiety. But at the same time, you have this, this thing of preaching the gospel. That's open. Why did the world open? Everybody is very keen to hear the gospel. And he has to preach and share the word with the people. But at the same time, he is worried about, oh, I should not have written that letter. I should not have uh, uh, pressed the send button on that email. And I did a foolish thing. And what will they do, this young man called Titus? Will they arrest him? Will they kill him? Will they hurt him? Will they ridicule him? Why is he late? So there is anxiety. Very anxious. But that was Paul's anxiety. Your anxiety and my anxiety may take different shape and size and color. Isn't it? We can... We can Put ourselves in the shoes and think, oh, living in anxious moments. But anxiety is only one side. But when you have come to Christ, when Christ is the reason for your living, nothing else. Christ is the reason for our life. Then there is, in the place of anxiety, there is jubilation. A jubilant spirit. 
full presence is in a beautiful way. The other side of the reality, the other side of the coin, the Christian side of the coin is that there is tremendous jubilation. Second Corinthians, second, uh, second Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God, he just describes his anxiety. Then he says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always, underline that, always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. And among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance to death to death, the other frag from life to, uh, fra fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for all these things. Paul compares the Christian experience. What he said, the first line, first two verses is, the shared human experience. Because we are in the fallen state, we are in the flesh and bond, we live in this fallen world, we are surrounded by people who are not saved in our families and neighborhood and in our the places we live. All are not sharing Christ with us. So we have times of anxiety. Sending Titus to these people who are not at all already in, in Christ, all of them in the proper way. It was a risk. But Paul says no. But at the same time, I have another experience. That is, I am in a triumphant procession. Now, this picture is drawn from the Roman MP, imperial life. When a commander goes to, uh, to fight a battle and he, he wins his enemy, conquers the land, new lands, he comes back, the commander in the front and all of them in the proper rank, in the hierarchy. They enters the city in a big triumphant procession. You know, they have won. You know, we might have seen football teams or whatever who are you know, in my place, which is uh, where I grew up. Now, when they, the country clubs have matches and they win, and oh my God, then that evening after they won the trophy, the, the, the bikes and they have a big procession of cars and bikes and cycles and shouting. Uh, with the trophy and the players, all the 11 players uh, on the top of an open jeep. And that's a triumphal procession. You know, imagine with, uh, conquering a land and come entering your city in a triumphal procession. And part of the triumphal procession are lights and flags and fragrances. You know, people will be holding incenses and they will be spreading. You know, they were waving the infants all over the place and there is fragrance. So people who are by the, the, by the side of the road, a huge crowd has lined up all the way in that um, promenade or whatever it is. And then they are they have the smell of. So Paul says, no, I go back to my tent and my spirit sometimes is um, bowed down, is goes through anxiety and I go through a depression. Every day morning, waiting for a new ship to come. And I find, come back from the harbor, from the port, saying that, oh, Titus is not in that ship. What happened to my dear Titus? I go back. And I think of, oh, how the Corinthians might have. Are they still in faith? Are they still in Christ? Or have they left for them 
who went back to the pagan religions what happened to the are they living still living in sin is worried and worried but he also knows his eyes open up and he said no 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 i am part of this big triumphant procession that christ leads and as we walk through between the spectators of this world who are not part of the victory they are only spectators they were never went to the battlefield but christ went to the battlefield won me and i have joined him and there is fragrance all over the place fragrance is the knowledge of christ every day every preacher as long as he or she is in this flesh you know the how much energy they have to amass scrape up i would say scrape up you know in order to put himself in a place to care to pray and to minister to a congregation nobody will understand that unless you you come to that position we have to simply scrape up enough you know when what do you scrape up scraping up when there is not enough but you still scrape with a spoon and try to make something out of it get something a spoon out of it now we have to sometimes scrape up not amassing simply scrape up enough grace enough anointing to stand before god but for that we need to understand one reality that when we come to christ we become a double not double minded double sided coin which has a full value the christ experience that's why the sami said in psalm 30 verse 5 that psalm 30 verse 5 for his anger about the dual reality this anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime his anger weeping may tarry for the night we may weep for the night but every night when we weep we also if you are in christ we know another reality that joy comes in the morning christian experiences there is weeping in christian experience definitely but that weeping is different this is a hopeful weeping if there is a word like that so there is a hopeful weeping we weep with the hope that there is joy that comes in the morning but the unredeemed humanity the unredeemed unsaved people they weep and weep and weep without the hope of the morning which brings joy that's why christian life is a beautiful life this worth living a life with jesus because though we may share as long as we are in this fallen flesh and body we may share what all the humanity goes through rest of human beings go through but we go through it with the hope that all our anxieties and fears and hopelessness will be replaced by god that's what this is different a third aspect is a very very real reality that is we have to accept the fact that our outer our body deteriorate we have to accept that you know some people are not willing to accept it 
they they actually try to believe themselves or try to appear themselves they try to appear um, getting younger every year and all that you know um, they 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 what you can say they update their wardrobe try to wear a contemporary dress and try to look younger makeup to look younger and all that whether whatever you do they we have to accept that physically we are deteriorating as we age in the book of ecclesiastes chapter 2 12 verses 1 to 8 has a beautiful poem you have to read it at home is very uh, in a very metaphorical way it talks about the process of aging you know you can read it at home you know the joints will start aching the bones will turn brittle and our skin will lose its elasticity and its shine and the cells begin to die you know the moment you are born this process begins that's a reality now we are growing but at the same time this process also sets in the outer will deteriorate in paul says in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 8 to 10 he says we are afflicted in every way and on the top of that comes the harm the hurt the injuries to the mind and to the body as well to to accelerate this process some of us all of us whether you don't go out of the room and you live in an air conditioned uh, situation probably you we may only but still we will deteriorate but people who take go out and uh, take the 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 brand of the elements and the wear and tear they will their situation will be worse and suppose you get beaten up you now a, a person told me why his mother is my age and she looks at least 10 years older than me so I, that's what i thought then asked how old is your mother and i think she may be maybe one or two months younger than me and i couldn't understand she is so weak and always complains of sickness weakness and take me to doctor this thing that thing and all that so i asked him why why your mother is uh, look so old he said because she was a battered wife all her life my father was so cruel to her and she has taken a lot of beatings and uh, all sort of so mind and body uh, is weak because of that so could be a reality you now the abuse that people have to go through makes them little older than their contemporaries maybe weaker secular and all that is possible so paul says that because of the even he was stoned almost to death and he was afflicted he was arrested he was beaten up now a lot of this so he says look at me we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of jesus so that the life of life may be manifested in our bodies what was going on sometimes it is like an aluminum pot a very roughly handled metal pot whether it is brass or aluminum or steel just dent all over its neck is broken and its bottom is leaking you know but still you use it it can still hold some water from the tap to your kitchen so you use it you know 
but it is crumbled. It's all crumbled all over. That is how the body looks. That is how his life looks. That is how his psychological makeup looks. He's so injured, so wounded in his mind and his body and in his emotions. But that is, happens to everyone. Every human being going through that. Yoga teachers say that uh, you can prolong your life. But most of the yoga teachers and the mystics who have taught that have died before 70 or 60. People who haven't taken their advice have lived up to 90 years. That's the reality. Not only there, now you go through YouTube, oh, what a claim. You taste this once, then you will know the difference. What? No? And uh, we all try it in our kitchens and in our uh, studies and things like that. And then we know if you had wasted your time on that, this the claims doesn't work. This is a reality. Deterioration, body deterioration, mental deterioration. And you know, now you can remember things and later you forget, begin to forget things. Now you have so much courage, later you lose courage. When I was in college, I was, I was, I, had, I was in a, a show of a very famous magician, very famous magician. And he was giving a, given an honorary degree in that day and he was performing hypnotism. He was performing on stage, hypnotic, his hypnotic, you know, there are a lot of stories about his hypnotic powers. And then he said one thing, my power has become less and less because I am aging. I was stuck. He said, he admitted honestly, he said, now my power to hypnotize another person has become now weak because I am aging. Even in an honest uh, hypnotician will admit that. Magician will admit that honestly. Because that's the reality. The mental power become weak. But the Christian reality, this is a common reality. But there's a Christian reality. You know what is that Christian reality? When I say Christian reality, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about the experience of Christ. That Christ is that there is an inside which is actually continually progressing. When the exterior deteriorates, when our humanness deteriorates, our Christ-likeness increases, progresses. There is deterioration on one side, but there is renewal on one side. That is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, which says, though our, so we do not lose heart, he says. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. So what's going to happen? In a Christian experience, when you come to Christ, what happens? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, what is happening? What is happening is that we know that we have a glorious state waiting for us. You know, you know it's a human reality. I might have touched, it, touched upon this earlier. It's a human reality. When I, we die, we'll get old. See, when we get old, our bodies will deteriorate, our bonds will deteriorate, and finally we'll die. We'll be buried or cremated. And then what becomes is that we go back 
to that and we enter the food chain you know worms eat us and uh, plants feed on us and then other animals cows feed on us and lions eat them and the whole circle goes back again the lions die now you might have seen lions king one where the, the the main hero tells about this circle of life or the food chain now but we have another thing that we know that every little component that remains atoms or molecules or subatomic particles that will see matter cannot be created or destroyed you should remember that first scientific principle primary scientific principle whatever remains of us whether it is a, become a residue residue in a plant or in an animal's body whatever it is on his day he can hold up all these together and give us a glorious body that is what christian hope is every bit even if it is scattered we believe that every part of us which remains in this world in whatever form it is wherever it is the good lord will hold it up and give us a glorious body where our spirit will launch lord again so we have that hope that hope is a hope that stimulates us that hope prepares us so those body is wasting away we think of the wasting of this body as preparation for the glorious body we can't maintain both at the same time so actually our life a christian life or life in christ is a dream state i thought about this word many many times yesterday when i was finally chose this word a dream state you know what is dream state is not a good thing in the psychological terms psycho thing a dream state is a state when you live as if as if you are in a dream you know you are not really touched with what is immediately happening in in this world around you but you are as if you are in a dream you are thinking of another reality and live in another when you live in a move in a reality you are thinking of another reality you know so driven by that sort of thing so that is a dream state that dream state is that though we are here our body aches you are not thinking of the aching body but you are thinking of the glorious body which won't ache that is what i am trying to explain with this if you are any expert in english language you forgive me and uh, just think that i am using a word for a concept for which there is no word yet okay this excuse i can use so what is happening is that we are live this paul says that i have an aching body i have a problem in my body but still i am not thinking about my toothache i'm not talking thinking about my heartache sorry my joint pain i'm not talking about dry skins or itchy eyes i am thinking of i can ignore all this because of, i am in a dream state dreaming about the glory yet to come that unredeemed people unsaved people don't have that they cannot process pain like that they cannot process shame like that but sometimes we have to go through shame as well you know i remember bringing my old andy i had seen her uh, maybe 5 6 years ago and she was energetic and she came and uh, we were walking fast very way to run to catch a train 
and I was running and I was looked back and she's still limping and walking very slowly. I was a little angry. The train will leave, but she has to catch up, but she can't because she's five years older than when, she, when I last met her. It took some time for me to realize it. See, that's a reality. My son will have that problem with me soon. And my granddaughters will also have the same problem with me. Patience. Shame. When you cannot catch up. When, I can, when you cannot kick a ball back in the gully. When, when these boys kick a, box, a, box, a ball at you. When you cannot kick it back, there will be shame. We'll go through that. Shame, ashamed of ourselves. Why can't I do that? Even Pele had gone through that, I think so. The great South American player, football player, might have gone through that, but he died before that. Anyway, what I'm saying before he had to suffer such shame, he died at a very young age. Now, what I'm saying is, this had to, how can we process this? We can process this. There is a day that is called the day of the Lord when I live in a glorified body. This pain won't matter. This shame won't matter. But I'll be in his presence. So he says there's an inner self that is being renewed. But the problem is many of those who know Christ doesn't realize this reality. When the outer deteriorates, their inner also, also inner self also deteriorates. It's not supposed to be that way. Each day it is to go. It's renewed. And I can't conclude this part without referring to a beautiful metaphor St. Paul used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. He says, We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Beaten up. Put in chains. Ridiculed. But not crushed. That's the reality. You know, we are trying to ridicule him, crush his spirit, harm his body. But he says, you can't do that. Yeah, I am made of clay. I am made of clay. But this clay jar holds the immense power of God. Every time you harm it, the inner power heals it before you know it. Every time you make a dent, the surpassing power of God that dwells within this clay makes it good. Every time you try to put me down by hurting words, this though I am clay, the moment I am broken, pieces uh, go from uh, you, you see pieces from shattering from my, my body, my mind. But this has immense power inside. So it has a power inside which repairs, which makes up, which renews the clay. And but why clay? Why can't it be gold? But the gold will paper out. I'm the hardest metal, but God has made us clay vessels so that the clay has no claim. All credit goes to the what it holds inside 
the vessel. So that is the Christian reality. Prepares us for eternity. Live in the light of eternity. And fourth and finally, to be more specific, Paul talks about his sickness. Not only the natural process of deterioration that everybody has, but in addition to that, there could be things that we we'll have to carry in our body for the rest of our life. Sometimes that speed up that end pro the end point, the point of our death. Something will happen in our life. See, for example, the person I prayed for over the phone, the cancer patient that I prayed with last week, and I have to catch up with him this week. He has lost hope. He knows that his life, he is not going to live uh, longer than as long as he expected to live. Because that's what the doctors have said. I met a person who is going to celebrate her 90th birthday in three months' time. When I was uh, talking about with her and uh, uh, saying that yeah, you're going to be 90 in uh, May, it'll be a great day. And uh, but she was so optimistic, so strong in her will, and she said, hmm, "Person, I don't. I think I may have another five more years." There's another way of looking at life. No, very positive. <laughs> so I say, I thought, my, my God, at 90, when approaching 90, you are seeing another, you have another five-year plan ahead of you. What a wonderful life it is. But many of us doesn't have that confidence, isn't it? And many of us probably don't want that also. Because if Corona prolongs like this, you know, I don't think what's the point of living in this world for another five years, wearing your mask, shutting in lockdown, and can't go out to a park or to a thing, have a day, uh, lunch in a restaurant after a Sunday, you know. So probably I'm not saying very, I'm not looking very negative. What I'm saying is that Paul had a probably he was a hunchback. Probably he was blind, partially blind. Or he probably had was carrying an ulcer in his body. We don't know. He won't tell us. He don't think, he don't want to describe what he said, because his focus is not at his illnesses. So he prayed and prayed and prayed. For 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So, so keep me from, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know, I'm trying to reconstruct an imaginary reconstruction. Probably Paul was praying and he had a revelation. Great. You know, he had many times he had visions. At least two times he had the vision of the risen Jesus. Once he had a vision of an angel standing by his side. And he had, a, these are physical appearances and many, many, many other things he had. So every time he had a revelation, he will become proud. Oh, I got this. This is what the risen Lord has showed me. But at the same time, <laughs> the, the back pains, the tumor pains. So he's reminded of his own bodily weakness. Why? So it is like a spare, a, a dagger from the Satan. Keep quiet. Must, you know, come back to your senses. Don't be so proud. Don't be so conceited. So he, so he, but he prayed for it. Three times he prayed. 
God, please remove this. But God said you have to live with it. Otherwise, you will ruin yourself by your pride and haughty life. Arrogance. So you have to live with it. But God did something. He said, I will give you grace to make up the pain. So this everybody goes through. You know, they have problems, they have physical weakness, physical sickness. That is fallen human nature. But when we Christ come to Christ, this is an entirely different experience. He says in the following verse, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, I prayed three times. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Whenever he is reminded of his sickness, his physical weakness, it comes in the form of pain. Sometimes our physical weakness comes when we are not able to lift something. We like to get the help of somebody else to do that. In the airport, sometimes we like to order a wheelchair and sit in the wheelchair until that person comes. He leaves us at the gate and he goes and attends his phone. Nobody cares for us. Everybody looks at with pity, sympathy. Hey, poor man. Young man is sitting in a wheelchair. He's hardly 35 years old, 45 years old. I have seen many people like that. And passers by look at you and may smile. Sometimes say, hey, what happened to him? And they may ignore us and we go secure. And he had prayed many times. I had a friend in Brazil. He, she was wheelchair bound. And one day she was very angry. She told me that story because they don't want your pity. They don't want your sympathies. When she was, one day she was shopping in a, somewhere in Porto Alegre, I don't know where exactly it is, uh, in a mall. She was shopping in the grocery shop. She was picking things and putting in her basket. And somebody, a zealous evangelist came by the way, a lady, and she saw her in the wheelchair. So she came with that great anointing, laid hands on this woman and said, like Peter told the lame, rise up in the name of the Lord Jesus in public. And she felt very humiliated. Nothing happened. Another thing. She's still in wheelchair. But that's another reality. But this seal, the, what you can say, um, misplaced seal, in right front of the crowd, this man, and she said, I was really angry. I was so much disappointed because I was humiliated in the midst of the crowd. She is happy with her weakness. She is a committed Christian. She is happy with that, that condition. And she didn't need us. You know, uh, the other day, Veena gave me the a biography of Joni Erika Dad's dad. Dad's and all whatever it is. A woman has been over 45 years now bound to wheelchair. A believer. A Christian. She had been to many crusades, nothing happened. No, many people have prayed over her, but that was not God's will. See, and she accepted that God's will. She wrote so many books. She paints with her mouth, holds a brush with her mouth and paints. I'll keep the book here in the library if anyone wants to like to read Read that book. But, but why they are not worried about, why they are not complaining about their disability, their sickness? Because for them, 
they have come to a Christian maturity, a state of Christian maturity, that they experience the grace of God. God said, I gave you a weakness. I'm not praying that we should not pray for healing. I'm saying you have to pray for healing. But if it is God, it's healing is God's will. But if God's will is that you go through that condition so that he can shower his grace upon our life, accept it also. That's all that I'm trying. Don't misquote me anymore. So Paul's life, you say immense shower of God's blessings in his life. Every time, whatever the weakness was, when his body ached, when his joints were in pain, when he had a frequent fever because of the infection in his body, he experienced the shower of God's blessing, uh, grace in his life. That's how when we come to Christ, we process the realities around us. I started with that. Meaningful Christian, meaningful human being, has a human ex meaningful existence. It continues to interpret their life. Why the way I am? Why what happened has happened to me? What is the meaning of it? But not just meaning. They ask what's God's purpose in it. Everybody asks that question, human beings. But a follower of Christ who has come to Christ asks another question. What is God's will in this matter? What is God has in store for me in my hopelessness? How I'm going to experience Christ in my life, the grace that God has reserved for me, kept for me when I go through anxiety. Sometimes very frequent anxiety. Sometimes more sustained anxiety with this pathological level. When I have to face this reality, though I may try all rejuvenation and tonics and meditation, still I know my body is deteriorating. But am I sure that, made sure that my inner man, inner person is growing? Or is it deteriorating with my body? When God calls us to live with our physical conditions, whatever it is, are we sure that there is sustaining grace available with, with him? That's what meaningful life is. That is the fully rounded life. It's not a flat life. It is not just a one-sided life. It is not a life with spikes all around it, but it's a well-rounded life. A well-rounded Christian follower. And that is our calling. May God bless us.